today's message is really about, uh, if I were to choose a title, it would simply be this, uh, what to do while you wait. Uh, I have a second title. Uh, this second title is from the hood. It's uh, what to do between amen and whoop, there it is. <laughs> How many realize that there's usually a gap between the moment when you said in Jesus' name, amen, and the manifestation of the promise? It begs the question then, what are we supposed to do while we wait? So we've talked about faith and love. We, we said that, 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 that every faith crisis is an intimacy crisis because it's hard trusting someone you don't know. The key to strong faith is getting to know God intimately and personally. And he desires to know, he desires for us to know him intimately and personally. In fact, he called Abraham a friend of God. God wants to be your friend. And out of that place of friendship with God comes strong faith. That friendship with God is based on the promise of God, what he has already said in this word. But this morning, we're going to talk about the connection between faith and patience. How many of you realize that God ain't your genie? That your wish is not necessarily his command. And even though sometimes we look to the text and we see the promise of God, what we often miss is the process of God. And in everything that God does, between the prayer and the manifestation of the promise is God's process. Because God is keen on who we are becoming. God is not in the business of raising spoiled children. Oh, Ray, you asked for it. Here you go. You want some more, Ray? Here you go. Oh, Ray, you've been such a good boy today. Here's more candy. That's what we think God is. No, no, let me, let me give you one more minute. We, we think God is our vending machine. That I can put something in there and pick whatever I want, and God is obligated to give it to me when I want it, how I want it, and what I want. Not true. And in spite of the fact that God loves us deeply and dearly, along with the fulfillment of the promise, God says, while I am bringing the promise to pass, I am going to take you through a process that will develop character in you. True statistic. True statistic. Most children who inherit wealth from their parents, who don't have to work for it, lose it by the third generation. Let me give you one better. <laughs> There are hundreds of multi-million dollar lottery winners who are broke. Let me give you one more. True statistic. One of the reasons that the show uh, um, Extreme Home Makeover is no longer on TV is because they were building all these lavish homes for people who couldn't afford to take care of it. 
And so God is the kind of God who is more concerned about developing character in us that will sustain us when he brings us into the place of promise. Most of y'all know if right now you gave your child the car keys, they wouldn't know how to act. And it's not a fact that you don't love your kids. The question is, are they responsible enough to handle it? Faith and patience. Because God is committed to the process. Now, the problem, though, is, hmm, the, the, the problem sometimes, man, I like that, what you're doing. Just keep that going. Can your fingers hang for another 45 minutes? Come on, somebody. Everybody say hi, Will. All right. <laughs> All right. Um, man, that just helps me, minister. Is that okay? Okay. All right. Uh, what was I talking about again? The process. Oh, what the problem is. What the problem is, City Church, is that we haven't discovered the power of being one lap Christians. Oh, you said, Pastor, read with you. One of my prayers is, God, make me a one lap Christian. See, Pastor, what are you talking about? I'm talking about the Israelites who had, according to Bible scholars, anywhere from an 11 to 21 day journey through the wilderness to get to the promised land. 11 to 21 days. Took him 40 years. You know why? God says, y'all go hover in this wilderness until y'all get this lesson. You don't get to second grade unless you learn the lessons of first grade. You don't get to third grade unless you learn the lessons of second grade. And most of us, most of us are waiting on God and God says, I'm waiting on you. And they became 40-year wanderers. Because they didn't get the lesson in the first 11 to 21 days. And this is what most of us do. Oh, I'm waiting on God. God said, no, I'm waiting on you. Get this lesson. And we resent the lesson. We fight the lesson. We resist what God is doing. And guess what? We spend more time in the wilderness than God intended. Because we don't get the lesson the first time. So what do we do while we wait? Oh, this is going to be good. It's going to be good. This is going to be good. Woo! Come on, somebody. If you, leave, if you believe it's going to be good this morning, say dilly dilly. dilly. <laughs> <laughs> what wrong with your pastor? Dilly dilly. All right, so here's the deal. Let's look to God's word this morning so you don't think that this is just Pastor Ray's opinion. That is, just not a, that is not just this soapbox thing, all right? God wants to move us along, right? Where we begin to walk in the fulfillment of his promise, all right? Okay, so, so, so let's look to God's word. I've chosen for our anchor text, Hebrews chapter 6. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 6, we'll begin reading at verse number 10, all right? You can follow along on the screen, and then the notes are also available on version. Can you put that up there? So if anybody needs to follow along on version, they can access the notes there on the version uh, Bible 
app, okay? Um, Hebrews chapter 6, beginning at verse 10. And the text reads, For God is not unjust to forget your work and your labor of love. Can we just stop there for a second? You are not forgotten. What you've done for God and what you've done in the name of God is not forgotten. The scripture says that God is not unjust that he would forget. I think sometimes we put God in our man box and we reduce God to the collective memories that we have of how poorly we were treated by humans. And if somebody treated me wrong, then maybe somehow God's going to treat me the same way. Yet the scripture declares that God is not unjust to forget. He remembers all of it. He remembers your work and your labor of love. Every time you reached out and helped somebody, every time you loved somebody, every time you hugged them, every time you spoke a kind word, every time you restored them and reconciled them, he's not unjust to forget it. It says, in that you have ministered to the saints and you do minister. He said, look, not only did you do it in the past, but you're still grinding this thing out. Even while you're waiting for the manifestation of the promise, the promise God is watching, God is taking account, God is recording your work and your labor of love as you have committed yourself to serving him by serving God's people. Verse 11 says, and we desire that each one of you would show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end. But verse 12 is where I want to land the plane this morning. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 12 declares that you do not become sluggish. Instead, imitate those who through faith and Come on, somebody. I, I was expecting a bigger, more resounding response, right? So he says, don't become sluggish, but be imitators, or but imitate those who through faith and Amen. There you go. Inherit the promise. Do I inherit the promise only because I believe? It's faith and patience. They go hand in hand. Between somewhere, because somewhere between the, 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 the promise given and the promise manifested is the process of God. And sometimes that process takes time. Are y'all with me? So we're going to learn this morning, all right, as we're building strong faith. Remember, our series that we're in is Stronger. Hmm? In fact, while you're waiting on God, there's going to be a whole lot of stuff that's going to try to kill you. Amen. Right? Amen. Whole lot of stuff that's going to come against you. Whole lot of stuff that you, you're going to think, Lord, did, I, did, did you really tell me to do this? Did I really hear from you? Because what I see in my life looks absolutely nothing like what I heard you say. Isn't that what usually trials come to do? They come to cause us to question what God said. They, they will make us say things like, God, did you really say this? The second thing that tests and trials will come to do, they will cause us to question whether God cares. Uh -oh, let me, let me, I, I won't get back to my message, but I got to say this. Uh, 
Jesus tells his disciples, get in the boat, go to the other side. They're in the boat, going to the other side. And as they're obeying God, all hell breaks loose to the point where it threatens their very lives. And guess what Jesus was doing, though? Knocked out, chilling, sipping on his Lipton tea like Kermit. In that moment, guess what the disciples are thinking? Did Jesus really say, go to the other side? It is possible to be in the middle of the will of God and everything fall apart, not because you're doing something wrong, but because you're doing everything right. Now listen to what the enemy will say now. He'll cause you to question what God said. Did God really tell you to go get in this boat? And once he settled that first, yep, he told me that. Well, that's the second, second thought in your head. Well, if he really told you that, he must not love you. Because he told you to come out here so you could drown. In fact, that's what the disciples say to Jesus when they go into the stern of the boat and they begin to shake him and wake him. And they say, Master, carest thou not that we perish? I went King James on you. Let me make it simple and plain for you. Jesus! Don't you care that I'm dying? Come on, let's tell the truth this morning, City Church. Because more than once in your life and my life, I know that I've cried out to God and I've questioned whether he cared in the midst of my storm. Jesus wakes up and says, oh, ye of little faith. The boat going down, though. <laughs> Fill it up with water. These, these dudes ain't got no faith. Listen to what he said. Did I not tell you we're going to the other side? Why does what happens between this bank and that bank matter? If I said you're going to the other side, no matter how much water gets in this boat, you are going to get to the other side. No matter how many people leave you, abandon you, discredit you, try to destroy you in the process. Did I not tell you? We're going to the other side? So why are you tripping over this water that's filling the boat? Jesus, this boat going down, bro. <laughs> and he says, you tripping. Because the last word I gave you was we're going to the other side. That's what it looks like to walk by faith and not by sight. Those disciples saw that boat filling with water by sight. They said, it's a wrap. We all going to die. Jesus says, walk by faith based on what I said. Not what your circumstances dictate. I wish I could get into some stuff now, but I ain't going to get into it. I ain't going to get into it. I ain't going to get into it. But I think most of us would stay the course. If only God gave us a little glimpse of how close we were to the miracle. It's so easy. It's so easy to have a NASCAR kind of faith. 
He said, Pastor, what are you talking about? You know NASCAR races? On in the little corner, top right, they'll tell you what lap you on, how many laps have elapsed, and how many laps you got left. Most of us want NASCAR faith. We want God to tell us when the boat's going down, now how long this going to last? Because I don't like this uncertainty business. And that's when he's silent. And he says it's going to last as long as it's necessary for you to get the lesson. So uh, where are we in this sermon? That was the introduction, right? Okay. So here, here we are. Okay, point number one. Come on, somebody. Notice what Jesus said, what to do while you wait. Number one, do not become sluggish. <laughs> Listen, let me tell you why this is so powerful. I know we're in Dallas, and we got a couple of Cowboys. How many Cowboys fans we got in the house? Got Cowboys fans, yeah. Yeah, yeah, especially from that, that 90s era. You know, you had, you had Troy Aikman. You had Michael Irvin. You had Emmitt Smith. This is what Emmitt said. Emmitt said it this way. He said, champions are made in the offseason. What was he saying? In the offseason, most people have a tendency to become sluggish. They get lazy because offseason doesn't demand or require practice. It doesn't require you to show up at the facility. It doesn't require two-a-days. So while everybody else is getting sluggish and getting slower and gaining weight, Emmett Smith said, you become a champion by getting ahead during the time that others waste. While you're waiting, get ahead during the time that others waste. It'll give you that one-second jump on that cornerback that otherwise would have intercepted the ball. How did that one-second advantage happen? It happened while you were waiting in the off-season. And most of us in the off-season of our lives get lazy. We just sit there and wait for God to do it all. I'm just going to sit here till my ship comes in. Won't he do it? Won't he will. <laughs> That's not in the Bible. Come on, Janita, you know what I'm talking about. Won't he do it? Won't he will? Yes, she did. Come on, that's that Kojic stuff. Y'all don't know none of Y'all this hip skinny jeans wearing church. Taking y'all all the way back to Kojic. Them missionaries on the front row ain't never been nowhere. <laughs> Got that white gloves. White hat. They're missionaries, though. What are we talking about? Don't be sluggish. Champions are made. So Malcolm Gladwell wrote a great book called Tipping Point. And what Malcolm Gladwell says is, 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 is um, um, success is a series of accumulated advantages. Right? It is a series of accumulated advantages. In your off-season, what advantages are you accumulating? Because the difference between a million-dollar racehorse and the horse that comes in second that gets a couple hundred thousand dollars 
is a split second. While you wait, what advantages are you creating? Not waiting for God to do it. What advantages are you creating for yourself? Because waiting on the Lord is not passive, it is active. Notice what Dr. Tony Evans said. Uh, He says, waiting on the Lord means doing all you are supposed to do until God does what you cannot do. That's why the writer of Hebrews says, don't be sluggish in your off season. Do everything that you're supposed to do until God does his part, which is the part that you and I cannot do. Okay? Don't become sluggish. In fact, the word sluggish in the Greek The word sluggish in the Greek is nothros, N-O-T-H-R-O-S. And it means lazy, it means slothful, and it means dull. That's the word I want to talk about a little bit. It says, while you wait, don't become dull. Notice Ecclesiastes chapter 10 and verse 10. It says, if the axe is dull, and does and no one sharpens the edge then he must use more strength but wisdom comes i mean but, but but wisdom brings success notice what he says he says while you wait don't lose your edge sharpen your axe because if you lose your edge what you end up doing is working harder y'all are y'all with me So he says, keep your edge. Don't lose your faith edge. Don't lose your spiritual edge while you wait. My responsibility and your responsibility while we wait is to sharpen our edge. Again, Ecclesiastes 10 and 10, if the ax is dull and does and no one sharpens the edge, then he must use more strength, but wisdom brings success. The wise thing to do is not swing harder with a dull ax. Man, y'all see that swing? Woo, did y'all see that? <laughs> y'all saw that, did How about, Did you see that? Did you see that, Brian? That lefty. Let the, let the weight of the club do the work. For all of my golfers out there. The wise thing to do is not to swing harder. The wise thing to do is sharpen the axe. What to do while you wait? Maintain your spiritual edge. Do not lose your prayer life, your devotion to God, your service to others. Because that's usually the first thing to go. We got to get this attitude with God. I ain't going to pray. Prayer don't work. I ain't going to read my Bible. I ain't going to church no more because this thing don't work. And the whole time, our axe is getting dull, and we're having to swing harder. Don't become sluggish while you wait. Uh, uh, notice, 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 uh, notice what my man Joe Frazier said. Anybody remember Joe Frazier? I see, I see my man right there. He was nodding. Yes, sir. Heather, is that your dad? Yes. Joe Frazier. If you're a boxing fan you'll remember the name Joe Frazier. In fact, in that era, uh, in heavyweights, it was Joe Frazier. It's Muhammad Ali, George Foreman. Well, maybe a fourth one, Ken Norton. Those are the bad boys back then, man. Notice what Joe Frazier said. 
He says you can map out a life plan, but when the action starts, it may not go the way you planned. And you're down to the reflexes you've developed in training. Can I stop there for a second? Another great heavyweight said it this way. Everybody got a plan until they get hit. And in life, everybody in this room has a plan until that plan is interrupted and you hit with something you didn't expect. Notice what Joel Frazier says. He says when that happens, you're down to your reflexes that you would develop where? In training. In training. And I've shared this story with you about my friend who's a law enforcement guy. And he said in law enforcement, this is what they tell him. He said, you don't rise to the occasion. You default to your last level of training and, what's the word? Training and competence. So when the action starts, it's not just like all of a sudden you become Superman. No, you're going to default to what you've already learned and what you've already perfected. And it happens in training. Uh, notice, he continues, he says, that's where your road work shows. Where does your road work show? It shows in the times when your life is interrupted. The training you did in the dark of the morning will show when you're under the bright lights. That's where it's going to show. If you cheated on your up-downs, if you cheated on your jumping jacks, it's going to show when the lights come on. If you are running lines on the court and didn't touch those lines, it's going to show up in the big game when you need your legs and your lungs. Don't become sluggish. I'm talking about spiritually. While you wait. Uh, he goes on. And he says, champions aren't made in the ring. They're merely recognized there. For most of us who fight for the spotlight, that's not where you become a champion. That's where you'll be recognized. But you become a champion in the offseason. You become a champion when you're doing your road work, when nobody else sees it. Listen to what he says as, he, as I close this quote. What you cheat on in the early light of morning will show up in the ring under the bright lights. It's through faith and patience we inherit the promise. Number one, don't get sluggish while you're waiting on God. Use that time to sharpen your axe. Number two, man, I really feel bad for you, Will, man. You can, you can, it's good, man. Everybody show your love for Will Sutton. Will Sutton, man. Awesome, awesome. Awesome. Number two, number two, here it is. Uh, imitate the faithful. Mm -hmm. Imitate the faithful. Notice he says, uh, 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 he says, don't be sluggish, but be an imitator of those who through faith and patience inherit the promise. Who are you allowing to be your teacher in this season while you're waiting? Who are you watching and who are you learning from in this season where you're waiting on God? Who are we supposed to imitate? We are supposed to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promise. 
This is not in your notes, but look at Hebrews chapter 13. I'm going to call an audible real quick. Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. This is necessary. The scripture says, out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. So we have the witness in Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 10. Notice uh, a second witness here in Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. Uh, uh, Let me find it real quick. My bad. Hebrews chapter... uh, Verse 7. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 7. Notice what it says. It says, remember those who rule over you. Speaking of your leaders. Who have spoken the word of God to you. Notice the next phrase. What? Whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conduct. Who are you supposed to be imitating? Imitate people who live a life of faith and where you see the outcome of their conduct and the outcome of their faith and watch them and learn from them. The scripture says, he who walks with the wise will become wiser still. And that's one of the problems we have when we're waiting We either isolate ourselves or we default to some foolishness. Because what we do is we get mad at God. Again, we get mad at God because he's not doing it the way we scripted it. He's not doing it on our terms. And remember, we defined faith before as learning to move at somebody else's pace. Patience, I'm sorry, not faith. We've defined patience as learning to move at somebody else's pace pace. And so what happens when you're in that season like Abraham where God's pace takes 25 years? That was God's pace for Abraham. He he tells Abraham, look, go out and it's nighttime. And he said, look up at the sky. And then he says to Abraham, look down at the sand under your feet. And he says, your descendants will be as plenteous as the stars you see in the sky, denoting spiritual sons, you and me, for we are Abraham's descendants spiritually. In fact, Abraham has this distinction of being the father of faith for not only Christians, but for Jews and Muslims as well. Y'all get that? And then he says, your sons on the ground, just like the sand, will be as plenteous as these grains of sand. Speaking of natural biological sons, if you were to combine all the Christians, Muslims, and Jews in the world over the generations, over the ages, countless, innumerable. Yet God is giving Abraham this promise when he hadn't even had the first child. I'm wondering what God is speaking to you right now when in the midst of your condition and your circumstances, it seems impossible. God, at least give me the first child. Then, at, then maybe I could believe it's possible. But God is saying something to Abraham that is going to happen. That is a physical impossibility. Y'all listen to what I'm saying. God is telling him, giving him an illogical instruction. He says you're going to have so many spiritual sons and so many biological sons and daughters that you ain't going to be able to count them and you ain't got one child to speak of yet.
That's the kind of God we serve. If you're here this morning and what you're hearing God say to you, that soft, gentle whisper in the middle of the night, I already told you what God told me. He already told me I'll do more with less. That's what he told me. He will do it. He will do it. And it's going to blow all of our minds when it happens. I wish I could tell you about some of the conversations I've had where people have told me the complete opposite and have added, well, God told me this. And I said, no, God told me in this season he will do more with less. I wish I could tell you some of the things that I've been told. Who people said, God told me this. And it's people you respect and people whose opinions you value. So now you got a wrestling match going in on your head. Did I hear from God or did they hear from God? In fact, there were two things that I've been told that was supposed to happen last year hadn't happened. There was another thing that was, I was told God told me that was supposed to happen at our seventh anniversary didn't happen. But God is still doing more with less. There are going to be people in your life whose voices and opinions and words you respect. But you have to be settled in what you know God said. Even if it's taken a little bit longer than you prefer. So I stand flat-footed on that word. God, you will do more with less. The thing I like about that, it takes all the pressure off me. It puts all the pressure on God to show up big and strong. My part is to simply obey God. Let me tell you something about faith. Let me tell you how strong faith is measured. Strong faith is not measured simply by what you believe but it's measured by what you obey. That's why in the Old Testament, the word hearken is used. It means hear and obey. It's a whole lot of us who know what the Bible says, never do it. And the scripture says, imitate those who through faith, I mean, imitate those uh, whose faith follow considering the outcome of their conduct. Everything about City Church, let me tell you from day one, has happened by faith. Didn't have no big church supporting us. Didn't have no big church sending us money. Didn't have none of that. And the Lord has sustained us miraculously for seven years. And through your faithfulness as well. What God does next for our church is going to be absolutely phenomenal. Again, I don't know all that he will do, but I know that it will be amazing. Let me tell you, let me tell you, I'll probably finish this next week. There's a man who comes to Jesus one day, and the scripture says he's a rich young ruler. He says, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, sell everything. 
Jesus said, sell everything. And the scripture says that this rich young ruler walked away from Jesus sad. You know what the very next verse is? It says there is no one who gives up father and mother, houses and land, brother and sister, who will not receive it back a hundredfold in this life and in the life to come. Why am I telling you that? Because the rich young ruler who asked the question didn't hang around long enough to hear the promise. Most of us only hear what God is requiring of us. Most of us only stay long enough for God to say, give everything. I ain't signing up for all that, Jesus. I'm going to keep my money. I'm going to keep my life. And I'm going to script my life. the way. And Jesus said, and this dude walks away. He leaves. And he doesn't even hear the rest of the sermon. If you give me what you got, you're going to get it back. All of it back. A hundredfold. In this life. And in the life to come. This one little life that you and I are so concerned about. If we invest it and put it in the hands of God, not only does he multiply our lives and our influence a hundred times in this life, but there is a reward that precedes us in heaven. But most of us falter when he says, give me everything. Don't wait long enough for him to say, tell us what the reward is. Remember, we started by saying God is not unjust to forget. All right, let me finish this message right here. Y'all ready? Four things. He <laughs> said four. <laughs> no, I'm just going to go quick because we're going to imitate Abraham who waited for 25 years. What did Abraham do while he waited on God? Abraham did four things. It's in Romans chapter four. It's in Romans chapter four. It's in Romans chapter 4, verses 19 through 21. He did four things. I'm going to go fast and furious because we're learning what to do while we wait, while you're waiting on the promise, while you're waiting on the promise. <clears throat> Romans chapter 4, verse 19. And it says, and not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about 100 years old in the deadness of Sarah's womb. Let me tell you about this thing. Physically, it was an impossibility. Dude was 100 years old. And the scripture says that his wife, her womb, was also dead. Then God said, you're going to have a whole bunch of kids. Notice the first thing that Abraham did. He considered not. When you hear from God, there's just a whole lot of options and stuff that you have to stop considering. Because your life and my life will always move in the direction of our most dominant thought. So let's stop for it. What are you considering? What are the thoughts that you are entertaining that are contrary to what God promised? God said you're going to have kids. Abraham had an option to say, my body's dead, her body's dead. Ain't no way this going to happen. But while Abraham waited, he considered not the physical impossibilities. What are you considering? 
What are you entertaining that is contrary to the promise that God gave you? While you wait, number one, consider not. If God said it, believe it, and that settles it. Uh, here's number two. Here's number two. He wavered not. Verse 20. He did not waver at the promise of God. Let me tell you why most of us waver. Most of us waver because of what we consider. This is what God said. This is my circumstances. This is what God said. This is my circumstances. As long as you're considering your circumstances, you're going to waver. You're going to bounce back and forth. You're going to be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. And when life is good, you're going to be on a high. When life is bad, you're going to sink to a low, low. Consider not, and you will waver not. Number three, number three, he gave glory to God. While he waited, he learned to praise. Oh, my goodness. That's one of the toughest things to do, to find a reason to be thankful, to find a reason to be grateful in the midst of your barrenness. 25 years, and he's still worshiping God. And ain't nothing changed, ain't nothing happened. And most of us quit after the first week. Notice how he was strengthened in faith. He was strengthened in faith as he gave glory to God. Even when he looked at himself and looked at his wife and wasn't nothing happening. He still worshipped God. And as he gave glory to God, he was strengthened in faith. Where's your song? What has stolen your song? The song that you used to sing. The song of worship and the song of deliverance and the song of thanksgiving. Waiting has a way of stealing our song. But while Abraham waited, he gave glory to God. And as he did that, the fourth thing happened. One translation says he was fully persuaded. One translation says he was fully convinced. Verse 21 says, being fully convinced that what he had promised, what God had promised, come on somebody, he was also able to perform. God can and he will do it. He can and he will do it. He can and he will do it even before you see that first child. And remember, Abraham tried to help God. The reason there is Ishmael and the Arab nation is because one night Abraham got impatient and took matters into his own hands and lay with the servant girl, Hagar. God said, that ain't it. And that's what most of us do. We get impatient. 25 years, taking too long, I'm going to take matters into my own hands. And all the conflict that's in the Middle East, all of it, between Jews and Arabs, came right here out of this Bible. Y'all hear what I'm saying? If you get impatient with God, you will birth a whole bunch of Ishmaels that ain't going away anytime soon. You will have to live with Ishmael. Am I making this up? For centuries, Israel, I mean, Abraham's two sons, Ishmael and Isaac, have been at war. All because Abraham 
got ahead of God. Okay? This is where I close. And uh, Will, you can come back now. Oh, my bad. <laughs> you stayed. All right, the team can come back. The team can come back. Because this is where we're going to wrap up. This is where we're going to wrap up. <clears throat> you imitate the faithful. While you're waiting, imitate Abraham. Abraham did those four things. Because as a result of that, we inherit the promise. As a result of that, we inherit the promise. As a result of that, we inherit the promise. Now, let me tell you something about inheriting the promise. Inheriting the promise is not always as simple and as easy as you and I imagined. And this is all I'm going to say about that. When the Israelites entered the promised land after 40 years of being in the wilderness, after they entered the place of promise, they encountered and confronted 39 adversaries. Most of us think that when we walk into God's promise, that is smooth sailing. But sometimes you can walk into the promise of God, and that's when the warfare actually escalates. That's when you're going to deal with your Jebusites and your Moabites and your Jerichos. Not on your way to the promise, but sometimes after you enter into the place of promise. But here's the good news. Here's the good news. God's timing Come on, say it with me. God's timing is always perfect. So I can trust God's delays. Always perfect. So I can trust his delays. I can trust his delays. Let me pray for you. So, Father, this morning we thank you that your promise...